I tell you, the scene is a little different up here than it is from out there. And one thing I noticed for sure uh, is how thin that back pew looks over there. And it's bittersweet. It's bittersweet to know that someone really special that normally sits on the back pew that was there last week is not here. And we're sad and we mourn the loss of Rodney, but we know where he is. And we know where we're going, don't we? We know where we're going because of what we're about to celebrate, the birth of Jesus. But it's bittersweet because while we're missing some folks on there, some of them, they've only moved. Uh, And that includes this gentleman right here. We are glad to have you back. And and we we love you. We love your bride a lot more. But we're glad that you're here. And so it is a reminder that sometimes when we're not on the pew that we're normally at, sometimes we've just moved a little bit. Uh, and it's a reminder that, that Rodney, he's not in his pew. He's just moved a little bit himself. And we can celebrate the fact that he is still alive. But for some of us, life is pretty hectic especially around this time. I don't know about you, but we have a million things going on in the Crum household. We're getting ready for our whirlwind tour of Texas, which will start in Brownwood later this afternoon, and we will travel all over the place. I'll get to be at the in-laws longer than I want, I mean, for a good, blessed time. I know we'll spend some time in Dallas with my family before heading back uh, to, to be in Hobbs in the land of enchantment uh, by next Saturday. So it's going to be a crazy trip. And trying to do anything with five people is tough, but trying to do anything with five people for that long of a time with luggage and toys and favorite pillows and all the things, like we just packed the sleigh in as tight as we could. Uh, in fact, even though we have a larger vehicle, I have to add on a special piece to the end of it so I can stack more tubs of stuff that are going to go with us. And so I'm busy. I have a lot of things going on and I do like every good smart person would do. I make a checklist. But one thing I don't have on the checklist and one thing I need to add on my checklist is taking time to celebrate the birth of Jesus. One little girl once misquoted John 3.16 by saying, For God so loved the world that He gave His only forgotten Son. And maybe that's what Christmas has kind of turned into for some people. We've actually forgotten with the Black Friday and the Cyber Monday and all of the packing and the list, we have forgotten that this is about Jesus. And so I want to go back several thousand years, and and for you, uh, you'll find yourself hopefully this morning reading along with me in Luke chapter 2, where we read about the story of a baby being born. But I want to make it clear up front, when we talk about this baby being born, especially in the humble circumstances in which He came, don't forget this. This baby we're going to talk about is the Son of God, that's going to enter into this world. For those of you who like to go look at lights and drive around, you may find yourself 
slowing down in front of a yard that has some plastic figurines sitting there. And we refer to that as the what? The nativity scene. I'm going to confess, up until this last week, I did not know what the word nativity meant. I knew that it's something that we talked about. I thought nativity must be when you take a child and put them outside in the yard. Because that's where we put baby Jesus. We put them out in the, the front yard. Which is always kind of odd because we leave milk and cookies for Santa inside, but we put baby Jesus out. Never mind, well, I won't go there with that. But we have this nativity scene. Nativity just means the place of one's birth. And so when we talk about the nativity scene, we're going back to the place where Jesus, Son of God, came into this world. And so I want to start in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his hometown, own town, to register. So Joseph went up to the town of Nazareth and Galilee and Judea, to Bethlehem in the town of David, because he belonged to the house of the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. There's a scandal. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in uh, a manger because there was no room for them at the inn. Think about the scene that un unfolded of baby Jesus coming into this world, and from the very beginning, there was just no place for that child. First, it would be evident that there was no place in the inn for the family, but later we would learn that there would be no place in the hearts of people to welcome one who would save them from their sin. The Son of God had just been born. And what happens next? It's time to start sending out the Facebook post. It's time to start telling people, here's our new bundle of joy. This is who we're welcoming into the world. But they didn't have Facebook or Snapchat or Instagram. They didn't have a newspaper that could print up the birth of a child. So how should this information go out? How could people be made aware of the birth of this little baby? Well, let's pick up and see how might God choose to announce the birth of His Son into this world. It's quite different than what I think I would do. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over all their flocks. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. I want to stop in the first half of verse 8. So we have these shepherds out in the field. They're doing what they're supposed to do. And God is going to come to them and say, this is how you are going to announce the birth of my son. So, biblical, that he would choose shepherds to announce the birth of Jesus. 
I mean, why not? It's such a noble profession. You go back and there's Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They were all shepherds. And of course you had Moses. He was in the desert, but he still was a shepherd out there. And who could forget King David? Before he was a king, he was a young boy out in the field as a shepherd. In fact, later on in Jesus' life, he himself would refer to himself as the Good Shepherd. And while we look at that and say, oh, that is so great and wonderful, that really was not how most people at that time felt about shepherds. In fact, shepherding had basically fallen out of favor by the time of the birth of Jesus. For starters, because of the work, because they were around animals, they were unclean. Ceremonially unclean. As long as they were shepherding, they wouldn't have an opportunity to go into the temple and worship because of their profession. They were oftentimes isolated and many times forgotten. They would wander around with their sheep, with their flock, trying to find a place for them to graze. They were on the outskirts. And because of that, they often became the outcasts. They were treated with contempt and mistrust. In fact, if you go back and look in the first century, a shepherd's testimony was not to be accepted in the court because many believed that they were unreliable. And they were brash, almost like a sailor might be. And yet, this is who God taps on to say, I want you to be the messengers announcing the birth of my child. I think in today's time, and I want you to take no offense by this, because I highly regard the shepherds and the role that they would play, but if God were to come today, here, if Jesus were to be born in the little town of Jow, or Lovington, and He was going to announce the birth of His Son, who do you think He might go to? Honestly, He would go out to the field. Not to find a shepherd, but to find a roughneck out in the oil field, pull up a group of guys, dirty, smelly, hard-working men, and say, I want you guys to go into town and go into houses and go into places of worships and synagogues where people think you're unruly and untrustworthy and unkept, and unclean. And I want you to tell them about the birth of a little boy in a manger named Jesus, who will be the Son of God and who will save the world. That's who God would choose. And notice who He doesn't choose. 
It doesn't say, oh, and there were some scribes hanging out in the temple looking over their scrolls. It doesn't say, and there were some kings in that region and they were looking over their treasures. It didn't say, and in a nearby area, there were some commanders who were looking over their armies. He chose the lowly. He chose the humble. He chose those who would listen. This is what is special about this story. It's not only the way in which God chooses to bring His Son, but the way in which He is going to herald Him into the world. And so for the next few minutes, I want to talk a little bit about this ragtag group of shepherds and why those were exactly the right people to bring the message. Not the commander, the king, or the scribes, but some shepherds, some roughnecks out in the field. The first reason that He chose them is because they were attentive. Listen as I read again verse 8 of chapter 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. They were faithful and they were attentive and what they were called to do. That they knew what their role was as a shepherd. And they were keeping watch over the sheep. Now again, you know this about me, but I'm a city slicker. I didn't grow up out in the field. I'm not a country boy. Don't really like big animals unless they've been cut up and cooked medium rare. That's, that's about as good as it goes for me. But big animals, they kind of scare me. Small animals, I'd just as soon stay away from them. But here we have the story of the shepherds and what they would do for their sheep. In fact, we know from some older stories and references found in books that a shepherd, when watching over his flock, he would put them into an area And then at that entrance of that area, rather than having a gate, the shepherd would lay down across that entryway. So that any time a sheep would go out, the shepherd would know. And any time some kind of animal tried to get in, he would know. And that's why John 10 verse 9 is so important when it says this, I am the gate. Whoever enters through Me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. That Jesus Himself would lay down at the entrance so that He would be aware of our comings and goings and that He could protect us from any predators. This was the role of the shepherd, and no doubt this is what those shepherds were doing that night, looking after the sheep. They were attentive. They were keeping watch. They were listening. 
they were listening. Are you listening? Not to me. Are you listening? As God enters into this world. The second thing they were, in addition to being attentive, is they were in awe. Luke chapter 2 verse 9 says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. They were in awe as an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of God filled their hearts with awe, and they were humbled. I wonder, and maybe this is just saying it out loud for me to hear, I wonder, when was the last time I was in awe of Jesus? When was the last time I was just completely humbled? When was the last time I was overwhelmed with emotion? When was the last time that I felt my knees give way and I fell to the ground terrified and in awe of who God is? Well, maybe that hasn't happened for you. And maybe you think that won't ever happen. But someday... Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. I want to live in such a way that my knee bows at the first coming of Jesus and I don't have to wait until the second. That my life is spent in awe of what Jesus has done. Because seeing a Savior solicits weak knees. That in His presence we can do nothing but fall before Him. The, soul, the, the, the shepherds, they were attentive, they were in awe, and they accepted His message. But an angel of the Lord said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth to those on whom His favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. This right here in, in Luke chapter 2 is where we get the English word evangelize. It's a Greek word, euangelion. It means to share the message. It is the good news. Right here. The good news is that He will bring great joy to your life. 
Now, I don't want to pick on you, but I want us to know that the good news brings great joy to your life. Now, I'm not saying you have to walk around with this perpetual goofy smile on your face. But I do believe that faith in God brings about joy. Not, I found a $5 bill in my coat joy. Not, I'm getting an extra day off of work joy. In fact, the Greek word that, that's used for great is actually better translated as mega. I have come to bring you good news, and this is mega joy. Now, I don't, I don't have a thermostat, a thermometer that can gauge the temperature of this room, but if it were to get dipped into here, and it reached into your heart, would somebody look at that and say, man, this group of people has mega joy. Not great joy, not a lot of joy, not some joy, but mega joy. That is what happens when Jesus comes into this world and when Jesus comes into your heart. We have mega joy. No one amen that. We have mega joy in our lives. Reading the newspaper does not give me mega joy. It gives me mega heartaches and headaches. Watching the news, not mega joy. Paying taxes, not mega joy. Knowing that God loved the world that He gave His Son, that brings great joy to all of us. Folks, joyless faith is a contradiction in terms. Faith in God and the coming of Jesus should bring us great joy. But notice how the message was not simply for the whole world, but it was first for them. That they needed to grasp what kind of joy that would come. Because the presence of God not only touches hearts, but it also moves feet. The fourth thing the shepherds did is they acted. I love verse 16. It says, So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. I don't think shepherds normally hurry doing anything. Sheep aren't smart, but they're not that fast either. And so shepherds kind of have this kind of lax uh, lifestyle. But it says right here, if you look in, in verse 16, they hurried off. They went in haste. They wanted to know. Why would they be in such a hurry to go there? In fact, 
If God had tapped on the shoulder of nearly anybody else, I don't know that they would go, and I'm pretty sure they wouldn't hurry. And I just love this thought. Who would want to go run to a barn, in a smelly barn, to see an engaged couple where the, I can't say the wife, the woman had just given birth and nobody else wanted them. And so the little baby was wrapped in these cloths and placed in a trough. Who would want to go there? Maybe only the smelly shepherds would be comfortable walking into a stinky barn to welcome the Son of God. You know, it's not when we're perfect and we have everything together that we want to go run and see Jesus. It's when we're broken and humbled that we find ourselves there. When they had seen Him, they spread the word concerning about what had been told about this child. And all who heard about it were amazed at what the shepherds had done. And the last thing they did is they adored their Savior. Verse 20 says, The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which were just as it had been told. They went back to their lives but they were changed. Can a stinky shepherd sharing the good news about a Savior be your story as well? God is with us. And I want to close out with this thought. The birth of Jesus ought to change our lives. Corey Ten Boom once said, if Jesus was born a thousand times in Bethlehem, but never in my heart, then I would still be lost. Let the nativity see the birth of Jesus not only happen, thousands of years and thousands of miles away. But let His birth touch your very soul. So that as we go out and people say, what are you doing for Christmas? You can say, I'm celebrating the fact that God is with us. He came once and He's coming back again. And for that, we can be a people of mega joy. If there's some way that we can help you rekindle that joy in your life or welcome this Jesus as your Savior, what better day to do it? Just a few days before we celebrate the birth of Jesus that we welcome Him into our lives and our hearts. If there's any way we can help you this morning, please come as we stand and sing.